if you knew that the end of your life was imminent, that at any moment, maybe days, maybe hours, your life on earth would be over, and if you had one last communication to give to your most beloved on this earth, what would you say? Such was my most real sensation on December the 3rd, 1988, when I was awakened at 3 a.m. in the morning. While we were living on Greenmount Avenue, we were about eight and a half years into this church plan. I was about eight and a half years into my marriage to Maria. We had four children, and uh, I felt compelled to get up and write a letter to Maria and to write a letter to each one of my children, to my parents, my siblings, and to the leaders of Faith Christian Fellowship, uh, thinking that my life was soon over. Well, I'm grateful to stand before you today and tell you I was wrong. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dead yet, but it felt very real at the time. You know, there's some benefits to having such moments, the force, they force us to think about the reality of the brevity and the vulnerability of our lives that we all know deep down, but we work so hard to suppress and deny. It's good sometimes to be jolted by our sense of impending doom, as Psalm 90, 12 says, to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. When you believe that the end is coming soon, what really matters gets pushed to the surface. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter that we call Second Timothy, that we're beginning today, his sense of the impending end of his life was for real. He was days, maybe hours, away from his final breath. Soon after finishing this final epistle to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, Paul is in prison in Rome, awaiting his death. At the end of Paul's uh, life, we find that he's in prison, but before he had experienced imprisonment in Rome, uh, his first imprisonment in Rome, he was under house arrest. People were able to freely come and see him. He could receive guests. He could move about some. His needs were provided for. But apparently Paul was released from that first imprisonment. He continued someday, sometime in his apostolic work of going to various cities, evangelizing, making disciples, planting churches. But here we find that Paul had been rearrested. And there is now no expectation for his release. John Stott said this, and I lean heavy on his commentary. We are to imagine the apostle, Paul the Aged, languishing in some dark, dank dungeon in Rome, from which there is to be no escape but death. Tradition holds it that Paul, as well as Peter, spent their last days in this mamertine prison in Rome under the insane, cruel, narcissist emperor Nero who set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians and persecuted them. Paul would have been lowered into this dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. Other references tell us 
that Paul is in chains. He's wearing fetters like a criminal. He's suffering acutely from loneliness, boredom, and he is cold in this prison, and he asks Timothy to come and to bring him his cloak and to bring him his scrolls and parchments. Yet besides Paul's horrible confinement, the church outside was under severe threat. Leaders were abandoning their callings right and left. Paul says in this opening chapter, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. At the end, he talks about Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Alexander, the metal worker, did me great deal of harm. There is so much for Paul to be discouraged about, so much to be depressed about, and so much to wonder whether this small, vulnerable movement of disciples called Christians, called followers of the way, was going to find a way forward. How could this group survive? Somehow, Paul fought off discouragement and despair. He knew where his hope and where his help was from. He knew that God was the God of the way when there was and is no way. And so he writes in this final letter to Timothy, who is, in a very real sense, Paul is passing on the baton of his apostolic leadership to Timothy, and he calls him to continue fighting this good fight of the gospel. And in these final words today, we will be looking at verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which... I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you 
This is the word of the Lord. The aging apostle is about to die, and he knows it. So he writes this final letter to one young man who he is entrusting the leadership of the gospel to, Timothy. While it is true that Timothy accompanied Paul for over 15 years, he became a faithful missionary companion, became a trusted apostolic delegate on various missions like to Thessalonica and Corinth, while in support and fellowship with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment, while Paul considered Timothy his spiritual son in the Lord, maybe led him to Christ, and while Paul had a unique affection and appreciation for Timothy, it is also true from human perspective, Timothy was hopelessly unfit for such weighty leadership responsibilities. The combating of heretics and false teachers, troubling the church, the ordering of worship, which was disordered, the selecting and ordaining of elders, the correcting, the rebuking, the commanding and teaching, the apostolic faith, the preserving the gospel deposit in the face of so many overwhelming forces that seemed far above Timothy's capacity. Timothy was still relatively young, maybe in his 30s. Timothy was prone to illness, and Paul referred to his frequent ailments and stressed that he would uh, drink a little wine to settle him. It seemed like it went to his stomach, the stress. Timothy was timid, apprehensive, faint-hearted, naturally shy. Some would call him an introvert. He tended to shrink from difficult tasks. Paul had to tell the Corinthians to put him at ease. People tended to see this weakness, and they took advantage. And Paul had to tell Timothy, don't let, don't let anyone despise you. Look or look down on your youth. It has been said that Timothy was disposed to lean rather than lead. Timothy was very happy to stay in the background and have others out front. This, then, was Timothy Stott, says, young in years, frail in physique, retiring in disposition, who nevertheless was called to exacting responsibilities in the church of God. Greatness was being thrust upon him, and like Moses, who was slow to speech and tongue and told God to send someone else, like Jeremiah, who, who said, I do not know how to speak, I am only a child, like Rahab the prostitute who would never have thought that her faith would have catapult her into the Hall of Fame, or Ruth the Moabitess who was privileged to become the great-grandmother of Jesus, or the out-of-wedlock pregnant teenage Mary to become the mother of our Savior, and a host of others before and after Timothy, Timothy was exceedingly reluctant to accept his leadership role. When God wants to do something great, he looks for weak people. From the world's perspective, no human systems would have chosen the apostles, these unschooled, ordinary, common men. From a human perspective, no human systems would have chosen Timothy to be Paul's appointed leader. 
but that is just the nature of how our God works. First Corinthians, Paul says, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. Dan Allinger said in his book, uh, Leading with a Limp, he said, God loves reluctant leaders. Even better, he loves reluctant leaders who know they are frightened, confused, and broken. <laughs> if you feel weak today, you are just the kind of person that God wants to work his greatness through. Maybe you feel too young. Maybe you feel too weak, too shy, and yet God is calling you to leadership. Timothy is a special message to all of the timid Timothys or the timid Tianas or Tanishas or the Tyrones of the world. And in this passage, Paul is calling not only Timothy but all believers to fight their fears, to fight their spirits of timidity that would cause them to shrink back and to guard and to keep and to preserve and to protect and promote the gospel in their lives. Paul calls Timothy in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is this good deposit? It is this good thing, this beautiful, excellent, honorable, precious treasure thing that was entrusted to Timothy. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which were embodied in the words of Paul to Timothy. In verse 9 and 10, he talks about how God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You think about Paul uh, in this dungeon, in this hole in the ground, and these words that come out of him, I mean, this is what his anchor was. Uh, the acknowledgement that Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead and he conquered, he abolished death in the stronghold of death. And he, and he promised immortality, Jesus being the firstborn among the dead. And this is the gospel. The gospel is the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ who saved us who redeemed us, who reconciled us, and who is restoring us. By sheer grace, he abolished death. This is the pearl of great price, worth everything. This is the treasure hidden in the field, worth everything. And this is what Timothy is called to guard and to keep. This gospel, this Christ, Paul says otherwise, other places, and we proclaim him. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so the gospel is Jesus. It's Jesus himself. It is Jesus manifested in the words of Paul. It is this good, beautiful deposit. We are not to change it. We are not to alter it, modify it, amend it, but to keep and preserve it, this precious gospel. And so we find, as he calls him, as he calls believers to guard this good deposit, how do we do that? And he tells them to do three things. Fan the flame, share the suffering, and grip the power. 
Feed the flame. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so Paul has presented to Timothy, he opens up, you know, these encouraging words to Timothy, how he acknowledged this sincere faith in his life. He acknowledged that God was at work in his life. And he saw this sincere faith in his mother and his grandmother, and now it's at work in him. God has done this good work. It hasn't been anything that he has done. And in light of God's good work in his life, he tells him to rekindle. It's a continuous action to fan into flame, to feed this flame of the gift of God, to stoke this fire. Now, what Paul is saying is that this isn't something like you're trying to rub two sticks together to make a fire. This isn't like you're trying to, you know, create uh, some heat uh, with some type of, to make sparks in order to catch a flame. He is saying to fan into flame the gift. It is a flame that has been given. You have been given this light. It is yours by God's sheer grace and gift. But your responsibility is to stoke this thing, is to pour fuel on this thing, to blow oxygen on this thing, to fan into flame this great gift that you have, and not to be timid about it, not to shrink back and not to cave into fears. We find in Romans 12, Paul urges the Romans, he says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And he moves into how are they to do that? How are, to, how are they to live daily, giving themselves as, as sacrifices? And besides the renewing of our minds through the scriptures, he tells them uh, that each one of them, uh, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given. And he, then he starts to expound the different gifts. And he's telling them, this is how you are to present yourself as living sacrifices. Use your gifts. Know your gifts. If your gift is prophecy, use it in the proportion of the gift that you've been given. If it's serving, let them serve. If it's teaching, let them teach. And what we find is that in the scriptures, these gifts that have been given by Christ, by the Spirit, when he ascended on high, has been given to each believer in order to reveal the character and the ministry of Christ to the world. And each one of you who have claimed Christ has been given a very specific gift or gifts Sometimes it's a circle of gifts. Sometimes it's gifts in speaking and communicating. Sometimes it's gifts in serving. Sometimes it's gifts in leading. But each person has been given a gift. What are spiritual gifts? They're an enablement to meet the needs of people. Given by the Holy Spirit on the basis of God's free grace, in, which, in such a way that people are brought under the lordship of Christ with the result that the body of Christ is built up in quality and quantity. And so Paul is telling Timothy to fan into flame his gift. It doesn't really say what his specific gift was. Others would say, well, it was definitely teaching. It was definitely in communication. He talks about that he is to do the work of an evangelist, and it was clear that he had that kind of calling on his life. But 
Timothy knew what Paul was referring to, and it was his job to fan into flame that gift. First uh, Peter 4 says, Each has received a gift, and to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. It's a wonderful thing that when you see a person who has developed their gifts and are utilizing their gifts to build up the body of Christ. Uh, a number of us were honored to hear Kim Suter give a message on flourishing, on the nature of happiness in the Christian life, and, and the nature of how happiness and relationships and ministry work together. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to sit under a person's instruction and to be uh, built up to be able to capture a part of the kingdom of God that you haven't really thought about or processed, but how they present that. Or a person in just the way they encourage others. Uh, I'm, I'm married to uh, Maria, who has a gift of encouragement. Uh, she works with Paracleo, which is the perfect fit for her gifts. She comes alongside uh, the Holy Spirit working through her to come alongside encouraging other leaders, other women in our, in our region and in our nation uh, in, in the gospel. Uh, but she's principally encouraging me, and that's a hard thing to do. Uh, she is one called the fan of flame. One of the memories I have of Maria, one of her childhood uh, stories, is that her brothers, her older brothers, like to build fireworks in the basement. And uh, they had a canister of black powder and, uh, and she found herself in the basement uh, taking some of this black powder and putting it on a little candle that would just like flare up, you know. Well, somehow that candle and that canister of black powder got connected. And she said it just was like a rocket ship, just a flame just coming out. You know, she thought she was going to burn the house down. Now, that's a different kind of like fanning the flame of your <laughs> gifts. But... The point is, is that our job is to put fuel on the fire. Put fuel on the fire. When you put that fuel on the fire, when you are developing your gifts, when you are getting more training in your gifts and utilizing your gifts, that little flame, flickering flame, becomes a bright light that really impacts so many around you. Uh, Redeemer Church uh, on spiritual gifts says, Spiritual gifts are all the ministry powers of Jesus Christ divided up and distributed to the members of his body. Spiritual gifts are powers of expressing, celebrating, displaying, and communicating Christ through the power of Christ. Through us, Christ continues to minister to the world. Mosaic is a glorious picture, but it is made up of tiny pieces of colored glass. When you look at these windows, you can see the glory of the beauty of colors coming through, but... It, but uh, each one is pretty but meaningless in isolation. So all Christians together show the world Jesus Christ in all the glory of his mediatorial ministry. And so you have a unique and special gift and a special calling, and you need to learn what that gift is and to find out what that gift is and develop that gift and to use that gift. Uh, we need that. The body of Christ needs that. The kingdom needs that. Are you using it? Are you fanning the flame? Do you know what your gift is? Now, part of the problem is that a lot of times we just don't know what our gift is because it's so natural to us. It's just who we are. We just, we maybe don't understand the strengths that we bring to the table. 
And so that's why we need the body of Christ. We need to be in community. We have community groups. Community groups, are, by the way, are some of our best vehicles to be able to help discern the gifts of the body. Uh, we'll be trying to equip our community groups to have some studies and processes to help us to learn about gifts. And there's many uh, resources online. But what is the call? How do we guard the gospel? How do we guard this good deposit? Fan to flame your gifts. But he also says to share in the suffering. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoners, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I imagine uh, for Timothy, people were deserting Paul. They were deserting the faith. They were leaving, and here's Tim Timothy on this hard assignment in Ephesus. I can only imagine that, you know, this was a very uncomfortable time for him. This, this was like, oh, look, I just want a quiet life. Look, let me just do something else, anything. But this was his call. And so Paul is telling him to, uh, later on, well, fine, be a good soldier. Do the hardworking farmer, you know, be this athlete. You know, he's telling him to do all this stuff that this is not his natural bent. Huh. And my, uh, my, my father-in-law was uh, an infantryman uh, in World War II uh, on the French line, uh, the coldest winter. Uh, he was the only surviving man in his platoon. And... Um, he, it was such a cold winter, uh, he was like, he said, we lived like animals, and uh, all of his toes were frostbite. They had all to be amputated. Um, my father-in-law was a super bright, book, bookish kind of guy. He is not, he would not be the infantry dude, you know. He was the guy, he was writing speeches for some of the presidents, and, but he was in this infantry. It's kind of like Timothy. He's not caught, you know, this doesn't, doesn't have it. But here he is on assignment, and Paul is telling him, share the suffering. Share in the suffering. And so Timothy was tempted to be ashamed. What we find is that this is what Jesus told his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Luke chapter 9, 23, after Jesus tells his disciples that he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he will be crucified. And then after he tells them that he's going to the cross, then he says to his disciples, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so how do we suffer? We, all, we can only suffer by following Jesus. We're not called to just suffer for ourselves but in the course of following jesus there will be suffering and it will be a cross that we will have to daily bear but in that cross in that suffering there is a life and a light that is transformative it is the upside down kingdom uh, martin luther king dr martin luther king experienced this himself he was uh being interviewed by Christian Century magazine in 1960 in a particular article on suffering and faith. 
And Harold Fay, the interviewer, had asked him, you have been maligned, arrested, and detained. You were stabbed. You say nothing about such sufferings, which must surely have had some influence on your thought. And so Dr. King had added a few paragraphs in his uh, response. He says, some of my personal sufferings over the last few years have also served to shape my thinking. I always hesitate to mention these experiences for fear of conveying the wrong impression. A person who constantly calls attention to his trials and sufferings is in danger of developing a martyr complex and of making others feel that he is consciously seeking sympathy. Uh, he goes on, he says, Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I have known very few quiet days in the last few years. I have been arrested five times in 1960, put in the Alabama jails. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not re recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near-fatal stabbing, so in a real sense I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. And he talks about uh, his personal trials, how they taught him the merits of un, uh, the value of unmerited suffering. And he says there are some who still find the cross a stumbling block and others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The suffering and agonizing moments through which I have passed over these last few years have also drawn me closer to God more than ever before I'm convinced of the reality of a personal God. Dr. Martin Luther King. And so we see the movement that if you're going to share in the suffering, the only way is that you must grip the power. And so he ends this section by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit, is by the presence, the power, and dependence on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who dwells within you, Timothy. Guard the good deposit. You can't do this by yourself. You do not have it within you. You do not have this power you can only do it through dependency on the Holy Spirit. And so Paul calls him to grip this power, to lean heavily on the Holy Spirit. And he talks about uh, his own experience at the end of uh, this book, or the epistle in chapter 4, verse 16. Paul reveals how he himself was one who relied and de depended on, on Christ. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. may not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, might, that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Last words of Paul, who practiced what he preached. 
he held on. It would, it would be, have been a heavy responsibility for any man, let alone a man like Timothy's temperament. How could he stand firm? It could only happen by his dwelling with the Holy Spirit. It is ultimately, by the way, God who preserves the gospel entrusted. It is not Paul, it is not Timothy's uh, uh, gospel, it is the gospel that has been given to them. It is that which God is going to preserve. And so we may have to watch increasing apostasy in the church. We may see the faith of the gospel everywhere spoken against, the apostolic message of the New Testament ridiculed. Uh, we might see in our generation abandonment of the faith in, and of the fathers uh, and what is our call? Do not be afraid. God will never allow the light of the gospel to be finally extinguished. He uses our frail, weak, and even faltering faithlessness, but he will remain faithful. He will see his kingdom manifested. He will have his bride. And so we are encouraged uh, to hold on. We are encouraged grip the power that Christ has given us. You know, uh, what's our call? Fan the flame. Share the suffering. Grip the power. Um, we need that in our day. Uh, we are, as a nation and as a church in the U.S., uh, under attack. Uh, the gospel is being attacked in various ways, and there is a significant decline of the church in our nation. While the church is growing in other places in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, in the United States, uh, there is a significant decline of the church. Uh, approximately, studies have revealed that maybe on any given Sunday in this region, maybe 15% of the population is actually found in church someplace. That means 85% are not. And, so that, and that is an increasing uh, movement. Um, I, uh, our, we had uh, uh, a speaker at one of our larger church uh, presbytery meetings, and he revealed that um, in our particular tribe of the PCA, we are the, uh, the median age is uh, one of the oldest uh, in the nation. The median age is 59 years old. That's, I'm, I'm grateful that's not the case in our church. But if you go to many churches, that is the median age. And that is the median age of a lot of the aging pastors. And what uh, across the board is being found is that it's hard to get emerging leaders and younger leaders to take on the call of the gospel ministry because of the complexities and the difficulty. Um, and so, what is our call? Fan the flame, grip, suffer, share the suffering, and, you know, grip the power. And, uh, you know, my gifts, my gifts actually is every time I take these gift tests, actually my top gifts are not pastor, teacher. Uh, my top gift is 
what's called apostle, which is not the number one apostle, but just kind of a person that's sent to help plant churches. My top gift is that, and then it's like evangelist and missionary. I always have a passion for seeing people come to Christ and brought into the kingdom. But, uh, you know, in this next chapter, maybe I'll use and fan the flame of this gift. So I'm asking you for prayer for me, for actually for Stan, as we move into a place where we're trying to encourage the younger generation, the next generation, uh, to be those who are entrusted with the gospel, that, uh, that God's grace and his gospel would go forward in our land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us uh, this gospel message from Paul to Timothy. Lord, what a precious gift it is, uh, hearing the last words uh, of this affectionate spiritual father to his son. Lord, we pray that you would uh, let these words resonate in us. Lord, help us to be good stewards of the gift of grace that you've given us, each one of us. Help us to fan into flame. Lord, help us to be able to suffer and share in that suffering. Uh, not that we're looking to suffer, but Lord, that we're following you, Jesus. And in that process, we're getting to know you better and to love you more and that we would experience your power and your grace. Lord, help us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.